In Jesus' name. Well, hello, everybody. Good morning. How's it going? Good, good. I like to hear voices. This is awesome. The, you know, the, the mood's kind of dim, right? Like, I feel like there should be some candles out, and my wife should be here. <laughs> but anyways, uh, thanks for having me out. You're probably like, well, Joel was supposed to be here. And well, and so Phil uh, texted me on Sunday. He's like, hey, I'm... I'm going to be free Sunday. Can I come speak at Creekside? I'm like, yeah, for sure. He's like, Joel's speaking at my place. I'm like, oh, cool. And then he texted me Tuesday. He's like, yeah, Joel was supposed to speak at South. And, <laughs> and so can you go to South? I'm like, yeah, for sure. I've never been to South. Uh, and so I'm excited to be here. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm going to give you a quick little story about who I am, and then we're going to hop into our message. Uh, I'm from the States originally. Yeah. Woo! I got a cheer. Usually it's booze and hisses and, <laughs> and rotten fruit. And so um, I'm from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, born and raised. And so I went from Pittsburgh all the way to Portland, Oregon. That's where I went to Bible school at. And that's where I met my wife, who is from Saskatchewan. And so I know, Saskatchewan. Here we go. And so I loved her so much that even though she was from Saskatchewan, I'm no, just kidding. Um, <laughs> And so after Portland, we went to Eston, Saskatchewan there, went to the Bible school that is in Eston. Then after our year in Eston, we went to Grenfell, Saskatchewan, and that's where I was a youth pastor and did some other things. And then I went back to Eston. I never thought I'd go back to Eston. If you know Eston, it's like, it's just, it's in the middle of nowhere. It really is. You're like, all of Saskatchewan's in the middle of nowhere, but Eston is really in the middle of nowhere. And so... Uh, that's where I moved from. I worked at the Bible school there. I was the accounts officer. I was the dean of men. I was a teacher there also. So I'm pretty much amazing. And so <laughs> to do all those things, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I hope you have a sense of humor. And so, or this is going to be a long sermon. Um, but uh, so then I moved out here in August with my family. And I have a picture of my family. This is a new clicker, and so we're trying this bad boy out. This is my family. I have four kids. You're like, how old are you? 23, actually, and 24. Just kidding. Uh, 34. The, the one in the middle holding the biggest pumpkin, that's Malachi. He is our oldest. The one to his left is Zion. Uh, then we have Jude, who is, you can just tell by that smile. He's, he's just something else. And so, and then... People thought we were crazy. We're like, yeah, let's go for a fourth. And we're like, if it's a boy, it's a boy. I mean, we already have three. We, should, we know how to do this. And so we were hoping for the girl, and we got our little girl. Her name is Evie. And so she is half elegance, half brute, um, because of having three older brothers. And so this is our family. We have now been in Lake Country for 10 months. And so part of what we're going to talk about here, what I'm going to talk about, is I hear we're going through our journal. We're looking through... Uh, just our narrative with God and like what he's bringing us through and we really glean off the experience of others right? we can connect with it we connect it to the word and so and it's awesome to see how God brings us through things and what we're supposed to do when God brings us through things or when we're journeying with him we're supposed to tell others and so this is amazing this, for these three months is that you're walking through this you're hearing stories that can encourage you and I'm losing my, my voice and, and hopefully help you along your walk with Christ so that is me and that's my family. And I'm going to put this down here. Anyways, let's pray. Father, we thank you 
that we can meet together as your family. And Lord, we pray as I speak that the words will resonate within our souls. Lord, that it will encourage us at whatever we're going through and that it will propel us forward. Lord, we come here to be changed. We come here to learn from you. We come here to hear your word. And Lord, we come here to encourage each other. And so we thank you that we can do this. And we pray your blessing upon the rest of this message. Amen. So, my son, my oldest, the one up there, he is always in a hurry. He likes to go through life fast. He is 100% into everything, gives it his all. Car rides in Saskatchewan, they're long. Honestly, we talked about the, getting the milk. It's a true thing. Things close at 5 in Eston. And so getting in the vehicle was like his worst nightmare. And so you get in the vehicle, right? And what are they going to say? Like, what's the, Everyone know what they say? Oh, are we there yet? No, Malachi says, please get me out of here. And so he's like on the verge of tears. Get me out of here. Uh, but then he starts to say, yes, are we there yet? And so that's his face sometimes he makes. But we go through this like as kids, right? We feel like tomorrow is so far away, if you can remember that. You feel like, man, are we ever going to get to tomorrow? I remember growing up as a kid, going to Kennywood, which is our amusement park, and just being excited to go and checking the weather. I, I scroll down, but like, <laughs> that's just what we do now. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, I had to like, watch the news with my parents. And so... Um, and be like, is it going to rain? What's going to happen? Like, mom and dad, are we going to be able to go? Is it going to be nice weather? And they're like, oh, it's going to be okay. And I'm sure they're annoyed with me. But like, we say that as kids, they're impatient. But we can be as impatient as adults. Can I get an amen? Yeah, amen. I remember when Kim was pregnant with Malachi and just being like, I just want it to be at the end. I, like, and I'm, I'm not even the one pregnant. And she's the one pregnant. I'm sure she wants it to be over. And she wants to hold her baby. And so I just remember wishing those nine months away, wishing we can get to the end so we can just hold the child. Then these last 12 months, they've just, it's been quite the journey for our family. Obviously four kids moving from Saskatchewan where we had family, where my kids had only thing that they knew was Eston and moving out here to a brand new place. And not only that, there's just uncertainty. Like we it was two weeks before we moved, and finally we had a place. But we were packing as if we were moving. It was like August 14th, and finally we got a place to rent. And we were out like 14 days later and moving away. Our house hadn't sold. And we're like, well, we're going because we feel like we should be there before September so our kids can get situated and they can have a full year of school. Then you wait for your house to sell. And then you think, am I doing the right thing? It's like, are the boys going to be okay? Like, am I going to be okay? Like, I'm pretty emotional and so i'm just in the corner crying and kim's like it's okay they're there little one and so but you just think like these 12 months the journey that we're on with christ it's hard sometimes it's uncertain we don't know what it looks like but we trust in the one who's calling us i trusted in the lord to get me here he got me here but what I realized along this journey is that the end of the journey doesn't always look like the way you imagine it. The end of the journey, we got to Kennywood, but it rained. The end of my wife's pregnancy, I got to hold our firstborn, Malachi. But you know what? It didn't look like how I thought it was going to look. She was induced. And then that induction, it took like three days for her to actually go into labor. And then after like a script, like, I don't know how long she was in labor for. Malachi got stuck in the birth canal and his heart rate started to drop. And then she had to have an emergency C-section. 
the journey, not how I thought it was going to look. And then, here, lay country, I didn't expect, you know, when you expect that you're following God, you expect it to look a certain way. It's like, I'm coming to be a pastor in lay country. My house is going to sell within like a day. And then I'm going to get like the best deal the next day on a house in lay country. And so, and then (laughs) you just think, like you think like this, we tend to think like this. But the reality was, is like, the U-Haul I had to get was in Meadow Lake, which was like five hours from where I was from. So I had to drive up one morning to Meadow Lake and then drive back that same day just to pick up a U-Haul. And then we got here, and then we were just, you're trying to get your kids in the school, and your house, our house still didn't sell all the way into like January, February, and just doesn't look the way you expect it to look. And this got me thinking about Joseph. In Genesis 37, you can turn your Bibles there. If not, I'll have it up here on the screen. We see this story of Joseph. Joseph, the youngest of 17, he has a dream. Joseph, the one who has a father who loved him more than his other sons. Joseph, the son of the coolest, he had the the coolest looking robe that we've ever seen in the whole world. When I think of this robe, I think of like somebody should be wearing it like downtown Kelowna or something like that. Like this this bright robe and I'm like, yeah, that's so cool. And then he had this dream, Joseph. And it went something like this in Genesis 37, 6. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Now, this would have been a brave thing for my youngest boy Jude to say to his brothers. I love them all equally. They're all the best. But I know Malachi and Zion, they would have responded in a way that would have reminded Jude that they were bigger and stronger than him. And so here Joseph tells his older brothers, hey, look, I've got this dream. You're going to be bowing down to me. And I'm not sure if Joseph thought his brothers would respond the way that they happened to respond. When they saw Joseph, they said, here comes the dreamer. Like they're almost mocking him. And then they planned to kill him. But they, and they ended up selling him to the Ishmaelites, who then sold him to Potiphar, where he became a slave. Here, Joseph, this amazing dream. And then I'm sure after that dream, he didn't think it was going to go down like this. I didn't think, he didn't think his life was going to be like this. He didn't think the journey was going to look like this for him. I'm sure he was like, this is just gonna, how it's going to look. First off, I'm going to become the head of my father's business. Second off, I'm going to expand my father's business, make it one of the best businesses in the country. Third, I'm going to intern at the palace getting the king his fine wine and fruit. Fourth, somehow get a job in the palace. Fifth, become vice ruler of Egypt. Sixth, run for ruler and win the election by a landslide and take some pictures with some babies. And so I'm sure this is maybe how he thought the journey was going to look after he had the dream, right? But it did not look like that. It did not plan out like that. It wasn't what God had planned for him. And so what I've realized these last 12 months, what I've realized within my walk with Christ for these 34 years, is that it's clear that God is interested not only in our final destination, where he's taking us, but also in the journey. Because on that journey, he does a work in our lives that has eternal value, value for eternity. And Christ, he needed to teach Joseph. He knew this is how the journey was going to go. Joseph found favor with Pharaoh. 
and was given oversight of the land, and he prepared them for the famine that was coming, and it would affect the whole world. He ended up at the place he dreamt about, ruling over his brothers as they came to him, to Egypt, asking them for food, and he graciously gave them their request and turned what was meant for bad into good. Joseph probably sat there and said this. Wow. At that moment, when he was, that dream, he knew it came true, that when God was speaking to him, he finally ended up there. He was probably looking back and was like, wow. That did not go as I expected it to go. But I'm where God said I would be. I'm here today at South. What is it, June 23rd? I'm losing track of days real fast. Losing track of sleep with my children too. As we've moved into a new house and they're getting used to it. In the lead up to this day, it didn't look how I thought it was going to look. It didn't all plan out the way I thought it was going to plan out. I can remember sitting in our rental in January and being like, God, what are we going to do come April when we have to be out of our place? Our, our home in Eston hasn't sold. I'm still waiting, but I'm trusting. But like, where are we going to go? We have to move to another rental? This won't be great for my kids. That we need, like, they're not settled. This has been a big move for them. There are probably situations in your life right now. And you're like, God, I'm going to get to that place. Or you're like, God, when am I going to get to that place where you said I'm going to be? God, why, why is the journey like this? Why, is it, why are you taking me through? What are you teaching me? But the great thing about the journey is he's doing eternal value within you. He is shaping you. He is doing great work within you. And it's not the way you thought it was going to be, but it's the best way. And what I went through this last 12 months, what I've remembered is this, that God is with you. And we're like, man, these are some of the most simplest things. But right, I'm a big basketball guy. I love playing basketball. It was my favorite sport. And so we're always looking for like a new move in basketball. We're always looking for like a new play and things like that. But I realized when I play my best is when I do the basics. When I square my body up and I take a shot where I keep my elbow in and when I am passing, when I'm dribbling, keeping my head up, when I'm rebounding, when I'm boxing out. And so what we do in our Christian walk, sometimes we look for that next huge truth, but what Christ really wants to do is he wants us to be grounded in the basics. Grounded in the basics. Back to the beginning. Back to where we just become so easy for us because he brings it back to our memory of the basics of life. God is with you, right? Sometimes how do we forget that? Or the journey is long, right? We're like, oh yeah, that's, a, that's an old truth, but it's such a powerful truth. In Genesis 39, we see this phrase used multiple times. The phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with Joseph. We see that Joseph first arrived and he prospered. He had favor in everything he did, and he had success in it when he, got to the, when he got to Potiphar's place. So Potiphar gave him the power to be in charge of everything in the house. And because the Lord was with Joseph, everything Potiphar had in the house, in the fields, was blessed. Now Potiphar's wife begins to make passes on Joseph, at Joseph. She realized he's good looking and wants to lay with him. And Joseph refused, not once, but twice. But during the second time, she gets a hold of his cloak and tells her husband that Joseph tried to lay with him. 
Joseph then ends up in prison, and this is said in Genesis 39, 21 and 23. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. And we think this is good, right? We think this is good. The Lord was with Joseph and he blessed him. God was with Joseph, blessed him. We forget where he's at. He's in jail. Sometimes they're in that situation, right? You're like, don't find, we don't find blessing in it. Sometimes we're in this hard situation in our life right now. We don't find the blessing in it that God is actually with us and he's actually carrying us through and he's actually teaching us. We would think the only way they would be blessed is if I got out of jail. But we tend to forget what Christ is teaching us in that moment of that tough time. That moment in January where I was like, I'm not sure what's happening with our homing, our house situation. I'm not sure what it's going to look like. Look, my house in Eston, amazing home. I'm not just building it up because it, it's my home. It had new siding, new windows, front deck. It had uh, attached garage, four bedrooms, a family room downstairs. It, had, it was a corner lot. Come on now, corner lot. And it was amazing. Sold for $180,000. I'm looking at homes here for half a million dollars just to fit my family. And I'm stressing. Lord, you're just going to drop a house on my lap. You have to. Even though there was another unexpected turn in the journey, even though when it felt like it was getting better for Joseph, but then it actually got worse, not only was he abandoned by his brothers and lied about, now lies were being said about his character. God was still with him. Still with him. Throughout this journey here, there's times where I feel like, where are you, God? Where are you? And we've all asked that question. God, where are you? But he is with us right now. And we see it. He's with Joseph in jail. He's with us. He said he's never going to leave us, never going to forsake us. We have the guarantee that he's always by our side. We see in the story of Joseph, and we know through Scripture that he is with us. He's never going to leave us, ever, ever, ever. And the trials and the tribulations happen because he is letting them. He is teaching us. He is showing us something about us and working on something within us, and he's building trust within us. And the promise I tell my kids is this, that God, he's always there. He's never going to leave you, never going to forsake you. Now, we were going through this series in Joshua, and this is one of my, we, you've gone through it. I'm going to bring it back, is where I ended in this journey of moving here, and we finally have seen the end. We were going through the series in Joshua, and it really spoke to me. The last point is to always remember what the Lord has spoken to you and what he has done in the past. When Joseph sat in that prison cell, or when he was being sold to the Egyptians, and felt like hope was gone, I imagine there was some grumbling. Have we ever grumbled before? You don't have to raise your hands. I know everybody did. <laughs> We've all grumbled. But I'm sure what brought him through this was remembering what God had said to him. Remembering what Christ had promised him. Those dreams you, that were spoken to him, the dreams that have been spoken to you, maybe to your spouse, you know what? 
they are still there. You're still waiting to see them through. The promise is that he will see them through. But remembering is a key, a big key to our walk with Christ. It's a big key into our relationship with him. Because the reality is, is that we are forgetful people. Do we forget things? Yesterday, my son had a birthday party. I thought it was at 4, it was supposed to be over, but it was actually at 4.30. And then I was supposed to bring him a life jacket, and I didn't bring him a life jacket. Dad of the year right here, come on now. And so, we are forgetful people. But Joseph, or in the series of Joshua, there's this one key point that really struck home with me, that really helped me through. And it is when they crossed the Jordan. Joshua is given instructions. He tells the priest to take the ark and go ahead of the people. The priests take the ark and they leave the camp. They've gone ahead. Then Joshua says, See, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose twelve men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe. As soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. The focal point is this. The focal point is the Ark of the Covenant. It is the symbol of the Lord's presence among His people. It shows that the Lord is with them. That's what they see when they see the Ark. And it has now gone ahead. It's the leader, it's the guide. This is, a, this is a, a point for us as followers of Christ, that God has gone ahead. He is the one that we are supposed to follow. He has gone through the Jordan before us. We see Joshua is not leading from the front. Joshua is not in the front with the ark. He is there saying, once I go ahead, it goes ahead of you, and once I now lead you out to go to the, follow the ark, then you will come with me. This provides us a couple things. It provides us with a continuing principle of covenant relationship that we are to follow God. We are to follow Him. It's not our role to second guess what God will do, and more than it, or even more, it's not for our job to argue about how it could possibly be done. We must never give up what we do not, what we do know, because of what we don't know. I'll say that again. We must never give up what we do know because of what we don't. We cannot give up our belief that God will do amazing things because we do not know how something amazing will happen. We cannot give up that belief. We know that he's going to do something amazing. We cannot give up because we don't know how it's going to happen. Even though we don't know how God's faithfulness and power will be revealed or how he will order our circumstances, what we do know is that he is our God and that he has gone out before us. It reminds me of this verse in 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Cast it all upon him. Even though we don't know, even though we're like, how are you going to do something amazing? And we were worried about it. As I sat there and I was worried about my family, I had to cast everything at his feet, knowing that he has gone ahead of me, knowing that he has done things in the past, knowing that he took a small, like a boy from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and brought him all the way to BC, that he has ordained our lives and he has ordered it. He is committed to us by his unbreakable covenant promise. And his love is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. 
So we are to keep our eyes on God. We need to keep our eyes on Him. This is what helped me. I needed to keep my eyes upon Him, even when everything seemed so disorganized and so lost, and even though the journey was like, not what I signed up for. We can be comforted knowing that He is first. The journey through the river looked scary. I'm sure it was scary. But he wants us to look at him, not the river. He wanted to show the Israelites that the way they were going to beat Jericho was not by their strength, but the Lord's strength. And then they made it through the river. And this is one of my favorite passages. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Choose twelve men from among the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up twelve stones from the middle of the Jordan, from right where the priests are standing, and carry them over with you and put them down at the place where you stay tonight. This act, as the language, a lot of similarities to Passover, which is a celebration when the Jews were first delivered from Egypt. The stones were to be a sign, an always present reminder to the great miracle by which God brought them to the land. The Passover was an annual sign, reminder of the miraculous deliverance of God. But the principle that we are to take is this, the principle of remembering. And this is huge. The principle of remembering. Joshua 4, 6-7 to serve as a sign among you. In the future when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When across the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. These stones, an always present reminder of the great miracle by which the Lord brought him, them into the land. The future generations need to know that these things really happen. My kids, I journey because of course I'm listening to the Lord, but I'm showing them as I listen to the Lord, the Lord's goodness within the journey. That we can sit and we can talk about what he did, how he brought us to this place. And these weren't small stones. They're not like, oh yeah, God did this. These were huge stones. Are we proclaiming with confidence and just with just a boldness that this is what God did in our lives in this journey? This is where he brought us to. So when they were asked, they could testify to the character of God and his promises. That night, as they lay down to rest, right, as the as the Israelites were sitting there and they were by the fire and they were with each other, they would look at those stones that they just saw and they would realize they were here because only God. Man, God was so good. Look what he did for us. They'd see those stones and they remember, yes. And I imagine they would start to tell stories. And it would be something like this. Were it not for Yahweh, were it not for God, we would still be slaves to Pharaoh God's calling us to no longer be slaves, but to think like the chosen. He's calling them, you're no longer slaves, you are the chosen. How often do we think life like slaves rather than actually sons of the living God? They would probably be like, if it were not for Yahweh, if it were not for God, we would have died in the wilderness. 
And they would have told some more stories. They would be like, if it were not for God, if it were not for Yahweh, we would have been swept away in the Red Sea. If it were not for God, we would have been stranded homeless east of the Jordan. They needed to remember God's faithfulness in their lives, not just for now, but for the next step. And so what Christ is bringing you through right now, what Christ has brought me through even to this moment, like we finally got a home. We moved into our home just three weeks ago with four kids. It was, bazong- it was bazonkers. That's not even a word. I just try to put bonkers and I don't even know what the other word was, but combine them together. But we did it with such joy and happiness because of the journey. But what it propelled us to do, what it actually is setting us up for, is the next step of the journey. Because remembering, and we need to have this principle, remembering our journal, whatever it might look like, it could be something like this. It might be this big for you. I don't know. I think that would slide under your bed. But you need to remember what Christ has done in your life. We look back so we can look forward. And this is a huge principle. We need to be able to look back to see what God has done so it can propel us forward. Throughout these 12 months, I had to look back to help me forward. I need to remember how we got here. I need to remember the steps of how we got here and like how Christ ordained us to be here and all the, the moving pieces that got us here. And it brought me courage knowing that this is where I'm supposed to be, and it might be tough right now, but the journey with God is good, and He actually knows what I need best. Because remembering is an essential part of discipleship. Remembering what He has done, remembering what He's going to do to push us forward, remembering just how He got us into relationship with Him. This passage shows us primarily that all of our hope is founded upon God, who does mighty things, and this is huge that we constantly needed to be reminded of what they are and why they happened. That's why they put the stones up. That's why we journal. That's why we talk about the things that Christ has done. Right? When we think, we hear about the Israelites and we think, why do they murmur? Why are they always complaining? And then sometimes I'm like, "Mm, yeah, that's me. And so uh, along the journey, I have murmured and complained. But what he called them to do at one point was he, when he sent manna down from heaven, he told them to take one quartz, put it in a jar, and take that with you. And so as you journey through the wilderness, you will always remember that I provided food from heaven. What are we taking along with us? What are we using to remind us of God's faithfulness? Our family would not have made it to this place without looking back on what God had done. And I'll call Luke up and the worship team. They can come here as I close. The journey did not look how we thought it was going to look. I didn't get my house September 1st, right when we moved into Lake Country. It was quite the journey. It was fun. It taught us a lot about each other, about Christ. I don't know what you're going through right now, but I know that God is with you. And I know he's teaching you. And I know he's calling us to look back so we can look, move forward. We hear all the Israelites murmur and complain. And I say, don't. Go to Christ's feet. We need to remember. We need to remember how God has protected you from making shipwreck of your life. 
We need to remember how God graciously let you grow up in a godly family. We need to remember how God awakened you to the ugliness of your sin. We need to remember how God helped us walk away, maybe from that terrible car crash. We need to remember how or what my wife, my sister, or my mom survived breast cancer. We need to remember how had mentors and key friends guide us in our faith. We need to remember how he sustained us through that season of unemployment. We need to remember how God graciously healed you. We need to remember that impossible prayer request that God answered. We need to remember how we had no money or you had no money and an envelope just showed up in the mail with exactly the amount you needed. We need to remember how the gospel came alive as it never did before. We need to remember God. We all have a story. It is being written. And it is a beautiful story. And God wants to use that story for the enhancement of the kingdom of Christ. I boldly speak of the good things that Christ has done because I know it will draw people closer to him. Remember. Remember as you journey that he is with you. Remember that it might not look the way you think it's going to look. But he is in control. He is just like at the Jordan River. Just like at the cross, he has gone before us. I'm going to close. If you want prayer, I'll be right off to the side, and you're like, this journey's been tough. I just need prayer to feel God near. I'd love to pray with you. Also, if you don't know Christ, I think the journey has led you to this Sunday service to kind of accept him, to know him as your savior. I'd love to pray with you also. And so, as Luke will begin to worship, I invite you to stand, but if you want prayer, I'll be right over here. Let's pray. Father, I thank you that you are always teaching us, that you love your children, that you are taking us on a journey. We've heard this phrase used so many times. We're going on a journey with you. But we constantly need to remember that as we journal, Lord, as we write about the things that you've done, Lord, I'm not sure what that manna in a jar is for somebody who carries around, for those who might be carrying something like that around to help them remember. But I know that you've called us to remember your goodness. I know that you've gone ahead. And I know that you're in control of this journey. So we thank you that we can come together and we can hear your word. We pray as we leave this place, we speak of the journey that you're taking us on with to others.